Welcome. Wait. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. I forgot how it starts. My welcome, name everyone, is and hello to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. Hello, Bloomingdale, and welcome to the Church Podcast. My name is Max Sherman. <laughs> I am your moderator, and with me this week is President-elect Dan Marcello. Hello. When is he going to be inaugurated? Co-president-elect Scott Reed. Yes. When am I going to be inaugurated? And sitting here in two coats and a sweater, Bill Cowan. <laughs> When is he going to get inaugurated? Never. Uh, Bill? When's he going to get a space heater? That's what he really is. (laughs) (laughs) Will you pray for us? Sure. Lord, we thank you for this day. I thank you for the joy of being with these men. And I pray you will fill us with your Holy Spirit that, yes, we have a good time, but also we say things that glorify you and draw people closer to you, including ourselves. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 All right, Scott. All right. Take it away. I think I found another one that we haven't seen yet. Perfect. Uh, So, Bill, would you rather have hiccups two days a week or that burnt tongue feeling all the time? Oh. I'll take the burnt tongue. What? (laughs) The burnt tongue feeling is the worst. Hiccups are awful, though. For two days? Yeah. Whew. Hiccups for a long period of time are really unpleasant. The thing that got me about that is I feel like you get used to the burnt tongue feeling. Like Mm. you just have, but with the hiccups, it's like, you have a chance to like experience normalcy and then it comes back. And uh, then yeah. You have to do that. I wonder if Bill's trying to teach a class on a Sunday and all he does is hiccup the entire class. Well, tr- try to sleep with the hiccups. Oh, true. Oh, my it's gosh. That is brutal. awful. Yeah. Fine. So, Max, yeah. would you rather have a perfect body excluding your face? Well, I mean, I think that goes without saying. <laughs> Above the waist or below the waist? <laughs> Not both. <laughs> Now, it possibly says, answer that it question. It says, but not both. <laughs> but not both. Which makes me assume Apparently that, like, all the other would you rather questions we've ever answered, the option for both was <laughs> available and we didn't Well, take I think it. what we have to assume here is that if you already have one, at least one of I these, lose it. you lose it. I would lose my perfect legs <laughs> if I go with the upper body. Your perfect calves. <laughs> my perfect sculpted calves. Listeners can't see my calves, but... Scott, but they're on the them. table right now. <laughs> We're all looking at them. We, they always are. No. Um, they always are. The traditional setup of the Bloomingdale Church podcast. I'll go with. Uh, I'll go with. Just a waist up, I guess. Right. But not your face. Don't forget. But not my, I'm, I'm your my face. Your face remains imperfect. Face remains imperfect <laughs> as a thorn in my side to keep me humble before Jesus Christ. <laughs> there we go. There it is. Dan, would you rather live to be 100 years old or start life over from birth and live to be only 60 years old knowing what you know now? Hmm. I think I'd like to live to 100. Yeah, you've got 65 years with that yeah. scenario and you only have 60 with the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. oh. See, whereas I'd only have 32, but I don't really want to do this all over again. (laughs) But think of the marathons you could run. That's true. Imagine baby Bill being like, it's it's about assimilation. (laughs) Come on, I imagine baby Dan coming out speaking English and Spanish. Yeah. parents are just like, what is going on? That would be crazy. All right. Um, And now I'll find a random one for me. I'm going to do the first question on this card. Would I rather take a 600-mile ride in the back of a livestock truck jam-packed with cows <laughs> or drive 1,000 miles in a car without a seat back? Ooh. Oh. Hmm. I think I'll go 1,000 miles. 
It's 600 the other way? Yeah. With cows. With I feel cows. like you could die. You could die. Like those cows could just kill you. Yeah. <laughs> they oh, just, I'm just they, thinking about the smell. They could just have enough and just and just squeeze. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah exactly. Dead. Unless you climb on top and of one. They're pretty uh, good producers of waste, and so you'd be smelling that. And That's true. True. Yeah, and, well, I think you. I'd get used to that. <laughs> <laughs> just like the burnt tongue feeling. The seat back yeah. sounds really unpleasant because, I mean, that, oh, you gotta, yeah. well, how do you maintain that posture? You might have a back problem for a long time. How do you maintain that posture for a thousand miles? Honestly, that's, that's even with the seat back, maintaining posture for a thousand True. miles is rough. How far is it to Boston? A thousand miles. Is it really? Probably, Probably about 24 exact. hours. It's like, it's like, like a thousand. We could do it. We could do it right now. Bill gets the cows. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really close. Car. It's like a thousand, like 600 miles. Like well, that's true. You drop me off close. somewhere in Pittsburgh. Well, if you start from Ohio, no. Is that... That's probably right. pretty close, depending on where in Ohio you yeah, are. Yeah, it's 400 uh, Akron. That's right. So you start in Ohio in the back of a cow truck, and we'll start from here, and we'll see who gets to Boston first. That's a yeah, deal. That's, that's how it works. <laughs> There's an interesting show out there. There's a bunch of couples and families, like, well, I guess couples, from Great Britain that had to go from London all the way to Singapore, only using, not using any flights, using road, rail, whatever yes. means they could, and whoever got to Singapore first. That's was awesome. the winner and won that, like $40,000. It was cool. That's what I would want the Amazing Race to actually be. Yeah, because it's actually skill. You have to plan. It's and how do you even get there? Yeah. Do they like, do they have time to plan or is it like, yes, your time starts now. You're there's like, there's like certain checkpoints. Like it was from London to Greece and then from oh. Greece to Azerbaijan. And oh, interesting. Azerbaijan so they, there's like a pretty Uzbekistan. prescribed route. Yeah. It's not like, oh, that's interesting. Uh-huh. But how you get there is up to you and what means of transportation. Are, sure. what, do they have a limit on how much money they can spend? <laughs> yes, yeah, so what the cost of a flight would be. Okay. Oh, okay. And then they can they have to get like jobs oh, so and work the jobs cost to of earn a money. Oh, so wow. yeah, for the cost so of the, this, wow. the plane tickets. Get jobs to earn them. That's crazy. So like if and they had to really budget their money. It was really interesting. This huh. is this a documentary or is this like a yeah. game well, show? No documentary, but they, at the end they could win like was it twenty thousand pounds, which is like thirty five thousand oh, dollars. Yeah, so docu game show. Yeah, finally you've heard of docu dramas. <laughs> called docu-game Race Across show. the World. That sounds amazing. That sounds pretty cool. And I guess they did another season where they went from Mexico City to Argentina. That's not that nearly one. as far, I feel. Yeah, I don't know. There's not as much ocean involved. <laughs> I guess the, from the UK to Singapore is like 12,000 miles. Mm. So let's do it. Let's do 12,000 miles without the back of a seat. Oh, and goodness. <laughs> and with the cows, and we'll see who gets there the first. The cows at the back of the seat. Bill, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in some cars. Uh, do you have a word from Rome? Yes. For listeners who are just joining us, Bill is reading through the entire history of the Roman Empire. (laughs) What do you have this week? For years and years and years, I've heard about the Arian controversy. Okay. And they just make a big deal out of that in church history. And I think, okay. I I always thought it was limited to the doctrine of the Trinity and that you have Athanasius, Mm -hmm. who is Trinitarian, and you have the Arians, who are really the ancient day Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm -hmm. Huh. Meaning? They don't believe in the Trinity. Okay. Jesus Christ is not part of the Godhead. Okay. But it's so easy to show from the scriptures that Jesus Christ is God, and, and they, they just rebuff that time and time again. Okay. So anyway, what, what I learned today was the Arian controversy was way beyond a doctrinal controversy. That was just really the facade for what was really going on. It had to do with who's in charge and who's got the power, who gets the money. And so you have the Catholics who believe in the Trinity 
And then you have others who probably claim the name of Catholic, but they don't. And, and these broke out into battles where thousands of people would be killed. Oh, that was wow. mind-blowing to me yeah. that people are dying over this. And, and you know they're not dying because they understand the doctrine of the Trinity. It's just oh, like, yeah. hey, I'm here to fight. <laughs> I want my team to win. And yeah. Whoa. So, so that's why they really blew it up in seminary. The Arian controversy, I, I just had no idea it was so broad. Mm. Oh. And, and we're talking almost like a world war here. It's, it's oh. a big part of Europe. And then... Down in Africa, they they didn't call it the Aryan controversy, but they had another battle going on down there, and you just think, wow, this this makes the Southern Baptists look passive compared to what the Catholics were doing in around 325 to 355 A.D. Wow. Whoa! At least the Baptists aren't killing each other in mass. I mean, this is really something. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's what I learned today. Yeah. How did it end? I mean, well, we know how it ended ultimately, that Trinity was endorsed and the Aryan controversy was eventually subdued. Hmm. When something's that big, you figure it probably has a way of firing back up again years later. Hmm. When you say it's really easy to show that Jesus is part of the Godhead, how would you do so? Well, I think one verse that comes to my mind right away is John 1, 1. Mm-hmm. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with mm-hmm. God, and the Word was God. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus' own words in John ten thirty, I and the Father are one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but there are others, you know, where you get to Hebrews, this is my son, just really, really clear that mm-hmm. yeah. he is God, Hebrews chapter 1. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know how the Jehovah's Witnesses just keep, you would think that in their own private reading, they would just say, you know what, it's there. You know, how is it? Pretty sure mind? their Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was a God. Yes, that's yeah, true. Right? So they, like do, they do that. Twist okay. it around and, okay. yeah. it's like, oh, he's just one of a bunch. Sure. But they Nothing also special. read the King James Version. Hmm. That's their version, uh, apart from the New World Translation. Mm-hmm. So you think, in their quiet time, when they're reading the King James Version, surely this pile of evidence has got to play with their minds. If they're just open-minded people Mm -hmm. to say, why don't I believe Jesus Christ is God? And since Jesus is the one in John who talks about sending the advocate and sending the Holy Spirit, if you discount Jesus as part of the Godhead, like does, does that inherently mean you discount the Holy Spirit then as well as... Well, I've never heard of a group that believes the Holy Spirit's God, but Jesus, <laughs> but Jesus Christ isn't. isn't. <laughs> so it must. Yeah. Gentlemen, every four years, the Bloomingdale Church podcast and its listeners take part in a democratic process, the likes of which the world can only dream about. Today, that process comes to a close as we celebrate the inauguration of the 46th president of the Bloomingdale Church podcast. As we know, Dan Marcello is our president-elect, and it is now common knowledge that his first act as president will likely be to appoint Scott Reed as his co-president, an unprecedented and may 
I say, unconstitutional move. <laughs> that is ultimately good for the we office. We want to see this podcast constitution. I grant you it is ultimately good for the office. Unfortunately, uh, current president, Jonah Langendorfer, is unable to join us today. Uh, January 27th, the day we're recording, is traditionally vegan Christmas. So he is <laughs> celebrating with his family. Um, but all of the rest of our distinguished guests are here uh, to bear witness to this historic day. So Mr. President-elect... If you would place your left hand on this bag of jelly beans. Your left hand. <laughs> You're not getting it back. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and raise your right hand and repeat after me. Oh, I see. I, Daniel Esposo de la Pastora Marcelo, do solemnly affirm. I, Daniel Esposo de, Esposo de la Pastora Marcelo, mm -hmm. do solemnly swear. <laughs> Trying to remember. To uphold the office of podcast president. To uphold the office of podcast president. To dutifully guard the jet ski fund. To dutifully guard the mm -hmm. jet ski fund that doesn't really exist. To judicial. <laughs> Whoa. Repeat after me, Mr. President elect. To judiciously disperse jelly beans. To judiciously disperse jelly beans. And to, keep, and to keep Bill awake for the duration of the show. And to keep Bill awake for the duration of the show. In sickness and in health. In sickness and in health. Till death. Till death. Or another election, whichever comes first. Or another election, whichever comes first. The end. The end. Congratulations. Well, thank, you. Yes. thank you. Thank you. Uh, and now live from Bloomingdale, Illinois, the inaugural address from our new president to <laughs> our new his, presidents, our, our new presidents to their faithful <laughs> subjects. <laughs> well, we hope that you'll continue to listen to the podcast. We hope to, on a serious note, continue to kind of scratch that itch of Bible content and bringing in doctrine and, and practical things for your life. And also some hijinks and jelly beans. <laughs> we love getting the, to, in all seriousness, we love being able to connect with you in this way mm. through this medium mm. and uh, hope to be able to do this for the, for the foreseeable future. It's been great. Mm. Scott is the new co-president. Here, 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 here. <laughs> it is time for sermon roundup. Yeah. We haven't had that in a while. True. It's been a while. I was almost caught off guard. By I know. Well, so it looked at me like, where's the yeehaw? So pa I did. So Pastor David is working his way uh, through, uh, it's Matthew 25, am I correct? 24, 24 and 25, 25 is this weekend. 25 is this weekend. Are you the first 25, Dan? I am. Hey. Congratulations. The parable of the young virgins or bridesmaids. Yeah. Oh, you're preaching this week? Yeah. Oh, all right. Good. Yeah. Um, and we've been talking quite a bit about, uh, I mean, the whole sermon series is about Jesus's return and basically what that looks like. And, and that's been a, a topic that we've hit on um, recently. But uh, honestly, Bill, I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about this thing that you were talking about before um, we started recording about how Christians can sometimes get caught up on the, the logistics of, the, of Jesus's return. Um, and specifically, if you could define for me in, in layman's terms, what being a, a, a premillennialist means, and ultimately whether or not that has to have a big impact on the rest of your of your theology, how, how that shakes out. A premillennialist is a person who believes that Jesus Christ is going to return and then usher in the thousand-year reign, the millennium. Mm. Not every Christian believes that. Those who do particularly hearken to Revelation chapter 20, 1 through 5, which I don't have memorized, but it's, it's pretty forthright in speaking of Jesus coming and then the thousand years follow. And then you find this millennium theme 
in several places in the book of Isaiah. Mm. So the millennium is very akin to heaven on earth. Mm. Jesus is reigning, peace reigns, and some of the most famous verses are, this is the time when the the lion will lie down with the lamb. Mm -hmm. It it is really going to be an unbelievable kingdom. People will live, it looks like, the whole thousand years that if somebody dies at a hundred, it's considered like what we would consider a child dying. Mm -hmm. Premillennialists are found in many churches, but the Christian Missionary Alliance is a premillennial mm. church. And then what, what is like the alternative to that? Okay, there's postmillennialism, which says he will return after a thousand years. Okay. They fudge a little bit on it doesn't have to be exactly a thousand years. They have adherence. At first I thought nobody believes this, but particularly out of the Reformed Church, there was a couple of men... Rusus Rushduni was one of them. Mm. But they, back in the 70s, they were pushing that Christ's kingdom on earth is growing and it's getting stronger and it's going to essentially take over the world. Mm. Now we're seeing it unfold right before our eyes with, I guess you'd say, the missionary movement as part of it. Although it's strange to me that they're saying that because the Reformed Church isn't really that big into the missionary movement. Hmm. But that was their position. They had a following. And it's the beauty of their position is it's so optimistic hmm. that, mm-hmm. hey, it's going to happen. And people like me could get on board with it at the idea of a revival. A revival right. comes and boom, the whole world's mm-hmm. yeah. coming to Christ. And it's just awesome. But honestly, that's a very, very small group that believes that Christ Mm. is coming after the millennium. And then there's another, I I think perhaps the largest group of all is the amillennialists. And they look at the millennial not as a thousand-year reign necessarily, but it could represent heaven. Mm. The thousand years could represent eternity. Uh, they just really don't buy into the millennium, and that's why they're called amillennialists. Sure. Mm-hmm. And they take they take Revelation then as the most abstract possible way for them to interpret it. Yes, but but not as abstract. It's, there's different uh, colors of amillennialism. Okay, some are pretty abstract, but others of them, you can't really even tell them apart from the premillennialists mm-hmm. until you get to Revelation 20. Then it's like, oh, oh, you, mm-hmm. you don't think that's going to happen that way? Yeah. I think their line of thinking too is. It's kind of like the ending to Lord of the Rings. Like you think it's over and then there's a little bit more and then it ends. So it's like why I think that line of thinking is like, well, why, what does it make sense to have that thousand year reign? And then Satan's unleashed again. And then there's a final battle. Hmm. Yeah, It really does lend itself to how many times are we going to go through this? Mm -hmm. You know, is Jesus going to come and walk the earth again, say 50,000 years from now and Mm -hmm. redeem the world again? You know, is he going to do it on another planet? I mean, your your mind can just go wild with that stuff. Mm -hmm. So how do we keep our minds from going wild, so to speak? Like, because thinking about, you know, end times and trying to interpret uh, the book of Revelation and like, I feel like that can be a distraction or be a little bit disheartening sometimes of like, oh, like, you know, that's, uh, mm-hmm. it's less concrete sometimes. Yeah. I've seen it be really divisive. Yeah. 
in people or if someone doesn't agree with someone's eschatological you know end times position it's like well i can't be friends with that person or don't want them mingling with i don't want to mingle with those kind of that kind of crowd sure if they're not like pre-tribbers or post-tribbers or you know though i would say don't let that get in the way of your relationships and living the christian life that's no. being a, a a testimony a witness to other people sharing the gospel yeah. loving on people don't let the eschatology get in the way of that because mm. i don't think that's what christ would want yeah i think that should be a means to motivate us to to be more open and sharing god's word and sure showing practical our faith in a practical way yeah it's really the orneriness in us that says I just got to know how all this works out. Mm -hmm. We come up with our charts and what we're trying to do is get so good at predicting so that we really are trying to control God. Mm -hmm. And that's just ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. And if Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the sun. Right. Like, how are we supposed to figure it out? Yeah. 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 So uh, let me bring up something that I've lived through. Sure. There was this big selling book. I believe it sold 15 million copies called, the late great planet earth. Okay. And it came out in the mid seventies. Hal Lindsey is the author of the book. And he said, Jesus Christ is going to return by no later than 1988. The reason why he was so sure of himself was Israel was reestablished in 1948. Right. And then there are prophecies that say that in a generation, Mm. then you can expect the second coming. Yeah. So he took generation to mean 40 years. Okay, so 72 years have gone by already. Pastor David pointed out, well, sometimes a generation is really more like 80 years. Mm -hmm. So you look at it and think, okay, whoa, now we're starting to get closer. You know, 80 years from, say, 1948. Does he mean like biblically a generation refers to 80 years? Or like in the colloquial, like when we talk about generations, we... Are talking about so he cited that passage in psalm that says a man lives to be 70 and if he has strength he lives to be 80. okay that that's pretty normal however there's a passage in when you look at abraham dealing with god and then what happens with this or god tells abraham your people will go into egypt and they will be there four generations and they're there 430 years mm. So you think, okay, a generation can be more like 100 or 107 years. Okay. I I think you can drive yourself nuts with this. And we're going to get to the 107-year point, and he still hasn't returned. (laughs) And you're like, okay, now what can a generation Mm, be? So the people that are lining up on what a generation means are forgetting, too, that the Bible says a day is as a thousand years with God. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. That'll really mess up your math. You know? <laughs> I've also heard it interpreted like humankind, <clears throat> like the, that okay. that um, generation, like the oh. generation of mankind, oh. womankind sure. is not going to pass away. So like we're not going to get wiped out by an asteroid or something before Jesus comes. Okay, I've heard it right. in that way too. Thanks for bringing that up. I hadn't heard that, but that makes perfect sense. So is this... How can our how can our faith and our like lives be enriched by by thinking about this and caring about this and and mm-hmm. and people who commit their their lives to mm-hmm. to the study of end times and mm-hmm. um, like how can that enrich our faith without driving us to this place of like constantly trying to either fight people about the way that we think mm-hmm. God's plan is going to end which if there's anything we've learned from the last human history it's that predicting <laughs> God's plans is a waste of time. Um, 
or falling into the category of trying to put God in a box. Mm. Like what, what is that? How can we be enriched by this without falling into those traps? I'm, I'm preaching on this this weekend, so I don't want to give too much away, (laughs) but I think it's got to go back to our own personal preparations for Jesus coming. It's really easy to, to theorize about dates and times and, and there's a place for that, for interested, being interested in having that be a hobby and study it and not yeah. saying that's wrong. But I think we missed the boat a little bit if we're just all about that and not mm. examining our own lives, our own hearts, our own intentions and actions. And like, where's the, what's the destination of our life? Where are we headed? What's the trajectory? Are we preparing ourselves for Jesus' return or mm. not? Yeah. And our kids and our families. Yeah. It has an evangelistic appeal too. Many years ago, there was a movie produced in the 70s I think it was called Left Behind. I'm not sure. Not the book series. Not the book series, though. This was a movie. And in those days, there was no such thing as even VHS videos yet. Everything okay. was 16 millimeters. Okay. Hmm. And I remember our Baptist church in Barberton, Ohio, showing this movie after it had been out for years. I mean, years. We showed this movie on a Sunday night, and attendance, like, doubled. Just wow. Like, whoa, we want to see this. It was a, most Christian movies really were lame. Okay. I mean, you can't over-exaggerate how lame they were. Okay. <laughs> but this movie was pretty well produced. Honestly, it was probably at a C level. Okay. okay? <laughs> Which is two grade points higher than what they had been. <laughs> so the Christians were all fired up. We were watching this movie and... In this movie, the rapture happens at the beginning. Okay. And you've got this unbelievable traffic snarl and cars are crashing and people are missing and they can't find the owner of the car because they got raptured. So the, the movie builds off of that. And at the end of the movie, you're invited to ask Christ into your life. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people really did get saved because awesome. of this. Genuine salvation experience. So that made all of us excited. I mean, yeah, wow, people are getting saved. And, and that's one of the truths behind the second coming teaching, that we are to be ready and ready for Christ to return at any moment. And if we're not, then as a non-Christian, we have to think, oh, if he comes and I'm not ready, he's leaving without me. And then I'm going to either live through a tribulation period, or go to hell. I, I, I don't have much of a good choice here in front of me. I, I, I appeal to what, I think it's in First Peter, it's to encourage us to holy living, mm-hmm. the second, Amen. thinking about the second coming. Yeah. yeah. I kind of wanted to ask, and, and this gets into the territory of not wanting to, to read ourselves too much in, into the Bible, but during that period where God is sort of, you know, where there's no more prophets and it's just waiting for Jesus to come. It's like 400 years or something um, at the end of the Old Testament. Yeah, the intertestamental period. Yeah. What would those people have said the value of those prophecies was to them? Because like they weren't coming true at the time, Mm -hmm. but they still had them and they certainly, they probably didn't understand how they would all shake out. Mm. Is there anything to like learn from that or am I reading into it too much? No. I think they were perseverant, that's for sure. I think we can yeah. glean from that, that probably in that time they didn't think all the whole earth is going to be blessed through Israel, like how all the mess that had gone on and mm-hmm. being, then being invaded by the Romans. And before that, you know, 
the Persians and the Babylonians. Like, how is the whole world going to be blessed through Abraham's seed? Mm-hmm. But they're just their perseverance to keep trusting in God. And, and that motivates me, inspires me. Through 400 years of silence. Yeah. There was something else happening that I'm becoming aware of because of reading the Great Book series. The Gentiles had been exposed to these prophecies in the Old Testament, and some of them would come up with their own. There's a sibylline prophecy that names Jesus Christ as coming. And I just look at mm-hmm. it and think, is this genuine? Did this happen after he appeared? You know, mm-hmm. what, what is this? But what I really glean from it is even the Gentiles were exposed to a Messiah is coming. Mm-hmm. He's a Jew and he's going to change the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think even though it was a really dreary period, those 400 years, there was something else bubbling up under the surface that kept the devout, righteous people, kept their fires burning that mm. Messiah's coming. We just yeah. don't know when he's coming. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting to me that the intertestamental period is about the same length of time that the Israelites were in Egypt, mm. also wondering what God, like waiting on God's promises. Yeah. I just wonder if there's any significance to that. Because mm. I mean, they had a lot... A lot more to go on in, you know, 400 BC than they did in whenever it was that they were in Egypt. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting that there was, and then, you know, Jesus is the new prophet like Moses. So there's a lot of parallels there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So God had, God gave them the promise and then let them wait, I guess, and see, I mean, I don't know why he did it, but it seems like there was, you know, he was letting them just have to trust him. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else to it. And I guess we're in a similar position now. Like, yeah, we don't know when this is going to happen or what it's going to look like. Um, we just have to trust him because mm. we have the promises. And and so far, he's always kept his promises in Egypt, in the intertestamental period, always came true. Yeah. Mm. Amen. Well, let's get into topic of the week. Topic of the week this week is brought to you once again by the adult education class, Hope in the Dark. Mm. Bill, it's not too late to join that class, right? No, no. Have you ever wondered even secretly, where are you, God? Can I really trust you? Whether it is a question that you've struggled with in the past or are facing right now, you are invited to join us as we explore the work of author Craig Rochelle in Facing Down the Truth. During our reading and discussion, we'll be looking at the story of Habakkuk, a prophet of God who also struggled with trust and doubt. Together, we will discover how God meets us, even in life's most challenging moments, and encourage one another as we wrestle with the reality of pain, doubt, and unanswered questions. Mm. Hope in the dark an adult education class going on right now through March 14th on Sundays from 9.45 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. to learn more. And for the Zoom link, visit bloomingdalechurch.org slash weekly. Um, actually, I think Nita sent me the real link, so I'll probably like pop that in there later. bloomingdalechurch.org slash hope in the dark. All one word. Thank you, Nita. For topic of the week, this week we return to the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, really quick, what is a catechism? A means of training people in the faith. Thank so you. New, new believers or converts. Amen. Uh, wow, you hit them both. I was going to say, then what's, a pur- what's its purpose? But you got them both. The Heidelberg Catechism in particular was written uh, originally in 1563, mm-hmm. originating in one of the very few pockets of sort of Calvinistic faith in the Lutheran and Catholic territories of Germany. Um, and it was originally designed to be a teaching instrument to promote religious unity in that region in particular, um, among those Calvinists. 
Uh, but it soon became a preaching guide as well, distributed to uh, preachers um, to sort of give them something to to stay on point on. Uh, and today is still warmly regarded uh, as, as as one of the most widely used catechisms in the Reformed Church. Bill, you mentioned the Reformed Church when we at the top of the premillennial bit. What is the Reformed Church? Well, it's reformed from Catholicism. Okay. So it's reforming the faith, and it's best known people are Martin Luther and John Calvin. Okay. So it was not an easy reformation. They they really were taking their lives in their own hands. The Pope was going to kill them. Hmm. The thing that protected them was they were, in Martin Luther's case, he's in Germany, and the German king wanted to break away from Catholic domination anyway, or papal domination. So he would protect Martin Luther. Hmm. It's interesting reading this decline and fall of the Roman Empire because you read a lot about Germany. Hmm. And Germany in this book is known as the barbarians. Right. There's, I think it's roughly 50 Germanic tribes. The ones I love are the Goths, the Visigoths, and the Vandals. <laughs> but they've got the all these different Germanic tribes, and they are fierce. Man, these people are fierce fierce but they are barbarians they don't they'll go to war even without weapons you know half the guys have weapons and half of them don't you think whoa this is wild so nancy says why would you do that i said i think they were counting on their buddy with a sword to kill one of the enemies so they could pick up that guy's sword and now they have arms (laughs) (laughs) but but think like can you imagine going into battle and you don't have arms yeah so, that, but the Reformation Church is reforming the Catholic Church, and they, that's why you look at it even today. There's not a humongous difference between the Lutherans and the Catholics sitting through a church service. Okay. There's some difference, but mm-hmm. you think, huh, the Catholics refer to the Lutherans as Catholic light. <laughs> it's interesting too like on the catholic side of things the reformation really made them kick things into high gear in terms of defending their faith and i'm pretty sure, sure. like the catholic catechism as we know it today was kind of born out of that of like hey we gotta hmm. we gotta really step it up here because there's like an attack on our faith so we need to be able to defend it and sure. teach new converts like what what it's all about yeah, yeah. so there was this counter reformation mm-hmm. which was part of the cleansing of the catholic church mm-hmm. they really st- improved immensely because of the counter-reformation that's why the jesuits came out of a lot of like catholic missions too of like mm-hmm. hey we're gonna go right share yeah. the gospel and yeah. sometimes at the point of the sword but, right yeah. and then the modern day reformed church what is our relationship to them like theologically well we were kind of born out of them okay because the cma was born out of a burden by dr av simpson a presbyterian pastor hmm who wanted to win the world to Christ and the Presbyterian church really had no mission society that was doing anything. So if you look at the CMA, we are like junior Presbyterians in terms of the government of the right, yeah. church. It's just, it's just Presbyterian government. Yeah. You see a lot of commonality. Presbyterians are known for being prayer warriors. CMA is heavy into prayer. Where we diverged from them was the missions were big into missions. They're, they're honestly not. Personal and, sanctification. Yes. Personal holiness. Yes. Yeah. So wow. there's, there's a divergence. It's kind of funny, too. The Presbyterians are usually 
upper crust people. CMA is usually on the wrong side of the railroad tracks. But there's there's times where it's not that way. Uh, it's it's changed a lot in my lifetime. Mm. It used to be seemingly all the CMA churches were built on the wrong side of the railroad tra- tracks. Mm. But now you have churches like this one that's not on the wrong side of the tracks, and Longo's not on the wrong side of the tracks. There's mm. a lot of CMA churches that just said no. We want to be in a nice neighborhood, and we're going to build a church there. Mm. Max, don't you have a Presbyterian background? I do have a Presbyterian background. Hey, you're like the best of both worlds. I'm All the right. perfect person. <laughs> Last week, we read the opening to... Except your face. <laughs> Except for my face. <laughs> Last week, we read the opening two questions and answers of the Heidelberg Catechism. And today, with our incredible amount of time we have left, seeing as it's 4 p.m., we want to break down some of the scriptural references behind it. Um there are a lot of pieces of literature that humans have developed over the years to try and paint an image of God um, from a Christian and non-Christian and all kinds of different perspectives, all kinds of blended perspectives, and it's ultimately up to us um, as individuals, I, I think, to use Scripture to validate and invalidate depictions of God's truth. Amen. Truth with a with a capital T. And so let's start with the first question and answer. I, I just um, really love to hear how Scripture supports these these beautiful things. And so I know you guys have brought a little something to talk about. So again, the, the structure of the catechisms is, is for teaching, and so it is a memorization of a question and the response to that question. And so question one of the Heidelberg Catechism, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Mm -hmm. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Mm -hmm. So one of the really nice things about this, and, and Dan was pointing this out last week, is that uh, over the the last 500 years, this catechism has got it annotated like crazy. And so there's a lot of scripture references in there. Mm-hmm. And so that's like a nice little mm-hmm. cheat sheet for us as we as we start off defending this and, and picking it apart a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, one of you in particular want to, to start with a, a line that jumped out to you and the scripture that backed it up? I can do it. All right. Um, and this sounded really cool in my own head, so... Go for it. But uh, things that always sound good in my head don't always sound good. Doesn't matter. <laughs> so, glorifies God in your head, it glorifies right. God out loud. <laughs> so I really like the line that said, you know, he also watch over, uh, watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. And this next line really got me. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Mm. And I like the use of, use of the word salvation as opposed to it's for my good, because yeah. that's what we always talk about. Amen. Like God works everything out for the, the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And that's the, what they gave there. But it actually made me just really go back and look at uh, 1 Corinthians 1.8, okay. which says, 118, I'm sorry, uh, which says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, mm. but to us who are being saved, mm. it is the power of God. And I just love that use of being saved. Not doesn't say for those of us who are saved. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just makes me think of just the power of God and the sanctifying work that he does mm-hmm. every day in, in us as we kind of yield and surrender our lives to him and, and that sanctification being making us more like him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I looked up kind of the Greek behind this idea of being saved and it could either refer to like divine salvation or it could be just being rescued. Yeah. And I thought, what a, what a cool thing that, 
God is rescuing us each day. And they're definitely from the things that we know about and that we pray about and that we see answers, mm. but also how many things that when we get to heaven and, yeah. and see God, is we're going to see like this list of things that he just rescued us from without us even knowing about Amen. it. Mm. Uh, and I, I just was impressed. That just was on my heart to share of this idea of that, that salvation being just a progressive act of God every day that we are being saved, made more in his likeness as we kind of, as we decrease and he increases mm-hmm. in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just, yeah, that, that, that idea is just very powerful to me. Mm. Scott, I think you brought this up maybe last week, uh, but about, you know, what Joseph says about what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Mm. And that, that can trip me up sometimes. Cause it's like, is God like things that appear evil to us are like, are actually good or, or something like that. But I think the right answer is that it is God's plan to redeem his creation. Mm. And so even if, even if it has to come all the way back around, mm-hmm. um, you know, praise God for the, for the fleas as, as has been said a couple times on this <laughs> show because of, uh, the hiding place. Mm. But, you know, there is, um, there is evil in our, in our lives and in our hearts. Um, but nothing is, is, uh, impossible for God to make use mm. of, um, mm. to, to, to straighten us out and to, mm make us, you know, give us a stronger testimony about who he is. And that's and, something that Scott said last week about people, you know, you, if you don't know what, what the weight of our sin is, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's a lot harder to really boast in who mm-hmm. Jesus is yeah. um, and to know mm-hmm. what mercy and what grace are. Um, and that's, you know, he builds really strong testimonies about who he is through that. And we might not want to be rescued from something. <laughs> it might work out for Amen. our salvation. That we might just kind of be like, I, I like this sin. I like uh-huh. this addiction. I like yep. whatever I'm stuck in. Yep. And God and he has something better for us and say, no. That's right. <laughs> and like like I'm thinking of the book of Jonah, he might throw a storm at that. That's right. And say, hey, I want to wake you up to the fact that I'm here and mm-hmm. I need to change this. And, that, and mm-hmm. if that's where you're at and you pray, like, wake me up. Mm-hmm. He'll take you up on it Mm -hmm. if you need it. (laughs) He'll he'll rip it out of you. Mm -hmm. Amen. So something that I liked last week um, was in the second question, but that's actually not the line that I chose for this. Okay. Uh, But it was the last line of the second answer. The second question is, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? And it says three things. And the third one is, how I am to thank God for such deliverance, the deliverance is uh, from all my sins and misery. And just that like that kind of response component um, and having that be pretty much just as just as prevalent as as the salvation component. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, our sin, our salvation, and our response. And they're all kind of on equal footing in terms of their significance to like what has happened. Um, and similarly to that, uh, the line that I noticed um, this week that, or that I chose this week uh, was the last line of the first question, which is, um, well, the, the preamble is, because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life. And here it is. And makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Mm. Uh, and just that wholeheartedly willing and ready, I, I found to be such a, like, that's a really bold statement mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for someone to make that, yeah. like, Cause like, I don't think that I'm wholeheartedly all the time, like willing and, and ready to live for God. I feel like I mess up and I mm-hmm. am selfish and I miss the mark a lot of the time. Um, and so I was like, all right, what, what passage did they, 
where did they find this? <laughs> and they only had one. A lot of the verse, a lot of the lines have like several passages, but this one only had one. It's 17 verses, so bear with me. <laughs> it's Romans uh, 8. Romans 8, 1 to 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Mm. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Mm. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness." And of the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Mm. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And there you have it. Long, long passage. <laughs> um, and I thought that was really interesting. I don't know if this actually is that related to the Heidelberg Catechism, but I thought that was really interesting <laughs> because as I was reading that later earlier today, mm-hmm. as I break up earlier today into several sections, the later part of earlier today, <laughs> um, I was like, oh, that's fascinating because earlier, earlier today, <clears throat> I was getting ready for a, a brief devotion that I'm going to give at the beginning of our, our young adults Bible study tonight to kind of kick us off based off of Galatians 3. Um, and I was thinking about that passage in Romans without knowing exactly where it was, because that's my life. Because um, <laughs> Galatians three twenty three to 4, 7, uh, I mean, it talks about um, you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And earlier in that, and the reason that I wanted to focus on this passage is where it says, you know, before you were under the law, now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, referring to the law. And then he goes on to say, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male and female. You are all one in Jesus Christ. And the point that I was making with that, which I think does connect with this passage in the Heidelberg Catechism, is that before Jesus came for the people of God, their identity was in the law. And mm-hmm. the law condemned them and exposed their sin and showed how unworthy they were of God's love. But now that Jesus Christ has come, their identity is no longer in the law, nor is it in their social standing or their gender or their ethnicity, but is instead as um, members of God's family, children of of God and co-heirs with Christ. And and so I think that, you know, this is kind of a similar idea that 
are we always 100% wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for God? Like, no, not really in the flesh, but our identity isn't in the flesh anymore. Mm-hmm. It's in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's in the salvation mm-hmm. of God that he's worked out in our lives. Right. And um, so in that, as we f- put our identity in there, um, Jesus and the Holy Spirit for us will always be wholeheartedly mm. willing and ready to to live for him. Yeah. Um, so yeah. there you go. Amen. Bill, you were all set to go and now you're changing your place in your Bible. Well, I'm, I'm still staying with the same thing though. Okay. It's those first words that I love answer that I am not my own. Mm-hmm. What is your only comfort in life and in death? that I am not my own, but belong. And then the rest of it is just phenomenal. But landing on that, I am not my own. Mm. I think of a time he was younger. I caught my son smoking, confronted him about it. And he said, well, what does it matter? It's my body. And I quoted him this passage. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it's sister passage in First Peter, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And man, that really hit him between the eyes. I, I could see he, he really took that to heart. Hmm. So you are not your own. And, and then uh, this is how it relates to my life today. Every morning I get down on my knees and I begin praying, taking my identity in Christ. And it begins like this. It, every day it's a little different, but it, But this is common. I am a child of God. I am the spitting image of God, my Father. He created me in His image. And therefore, I am an heir of God and a co-heir with Jesus Christ. I fell into sin. And because He loved me, He sent his son to redeem me from my sin. I am not worthy, but I am a child of God who's twice bought once as a creation and secondly through redemption. Jesus calls me his friend, but better still in Hebrews, it says he is not ashamed to call me brother. Mm -hmm. And so I come boldly to your throne, God, not by myself, but with Jesus Christ as a friend, a brother, an advocate, and as an intercessor. He's praying with me right now. And so I'm going to ask largely of you. And boom, you know, what I'm doing at that point is I I go from that into casting demons out of somebody. So it's, it's really great, though, to start with, who am I? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you've got a sin in your mind that you've committed and you feel unworthy, yeah. you got to back up and say, okay, I am not worthy, but I am a child of God. And, and I've repented of this sin. I'm asking for help to, to repent fully. It, it just changes how much faith you have as you go into prayer that way. I'd rather pray with great faith for five minutes than with little or no faith for 65 minutes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this has really been a big deal in my life the last few weeks. And the Heidelberg Catechism brings it out. I'm not my own. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Mm. Amen. And praise God that I'm not my own. (laughs) I know know how I would handle being my own. (laughs) There's a lot of people out there that are. Yeah. That's a, that seems to be a tough place to be. Mm. Can't imagine. Mm. Yeah. Because no matter how great you are, I mean, there's some people that are very impressive to me. Elon Musk, what a brilliant man mm-hmm. and very wealthy and he has five children and really sounds like he tries hard to be a good father to them. And I think, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, until, you know, he's got a heart attack going for him or something like that. Then it doesn't matter how much money you have or mm-hmm. what, what a good father you are. You're going to die and you're going to meet God. What, who are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. You don't want to get there, stand before him and say, I don't know you. Right. No. That's a bad place to be. Right. Think of how unimpressed God is by how much money you have. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It really belongs to me anyway. You you know, uh, all that gold, that's mine. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would you rather's trivia quizzes and your embossed Bibles, embossed Bibles, your gold, uh, the things that you think are impressive to podcast <laughs> at bloomingdalechurch.org. Uh, for our closing segment this week, it's time for bets. Um, we, uh, we are a huge, we are huge fans of the TV series, the chosen on this show. Uh, and two oh, right. weeks ago, we asked... Are you calling us huge? We're huge. we working out. Uh, <laughs> what, I almost... As one, as one of your presidential uh, promises, I almost... My presidential promise I'll make as many dad jokes as possible. Puns. It's all about the puns. <laughs> uh, we asked what the rest of the world thought of it using Metacritic, <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes, and IMDb user reviews in that order. That is Metacritic out of 100, Rotten Tomatoes out of 100, and the number of IMDb user reviews out of infinity. Dan said 67, 79, and 68. That is Metacritic, Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb. Scott (laughs) said 74, 88, 56. Bill said 62, 76, and 4. And I said 71, 96% on Rotten Tomatoes and 7 IMDb user reviews. Metacritic doesn't even have a listing for the chosen, uh, which is crazy because I could have sworn it did like three months ago when we thought about doing this. So that's out. So it comes down to just Rotten Tomatoes, which has an average rating of 100% uh, with only nine critic reviews, but regardless, uh, and IMDb with 3,072 <laughs> user reviews. Um, who actually won this? So what My that goodness. means wow. is we are all at least 3,000 IMDb user reviews short of that one. <laughs> so holding everything else constant, my 96% Wait, on Rotten right. Tomatoes is enough Ooh, to get me the win. Way Good to job, go, Max. Max. Wait I a minute, will, I thought those were Dan. I will judiciously <laughs> receive Well, you know... My inaugural present was taken away. What's what that? Dan is say? a servant leader. You yes. <laughs> These are mine. Uh, this week, <laughs> he's the real podcast president. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I am. A, I. You can be the podcast prime minister. And the, pi- the, podcast the podcast puppet prime minister. Well, maybe That's you want right. to be the emperor. I want. I am. <laughs> this week we had a big old snowstorm. Uh, one of the first of the year, and it doesn't look like it's stopping. Our own president Dan Marcello will be preaching from the roof on Sunday with me, Nita, and. Renee backing him up on the worship set. How many centimeters of snow will accumulate on the roof? Centimeters. From the moment Dan begins preaching to the moment he stops. Is it supposed to snow during? It is. 
the National Weather Service says uh, that there is a 50% chance of precipitation at 11 a.m. and an average temperature of 30 degrees. Ooh, bundle so up. the wind is going to be strong. The snow is going to be strong. Uh, and and the question, of course, how many centimeters of snow will accumulate while Dan is preaching for a tiebreaker? What will the outside temperature be at the start of his sermon? I'm going to walk out there, jam a ruler into the snow in the center of the roof, and however much it builds up, that's what we're going to. One hint, the National Weather Service says that half an inch per hour is, quote, low snowfall, one inch per hour is medium, and 1.5 inches per hour is high, and it's predicting no lower than medium snowfall. I don't know how to convert centimeters to inches. Uh, I, well, I can't give you all. I lived, in, I lived in another country where they'd use the metric system, and I never figured it out. I, I can't <laughs> give you all. I couldn't do this. I gotta that was harder than learning a second language. So, <laughs> so, yeah. So the National Weather Service predicts one to one and a half inches for an hour. So for how long Dan preaches... Convert to centimeters. Are you going to measure it beforehand? <laughs> 20 minutes. Whatever Dan says, I'm, I'm, I'm reducing a sermon down to two minutes so that I win this. <laughs> Everybody, the sermon is be prepared for Jesus coming. Have a great day. We'll see you next week. Have a great day. <laughs> Are you going to measure it beforehand? Because there might be snow out there. I'm going to measure it so it's how much it builds up. So I'm going to measure it where we're starting at. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a scientific method, Scott. I'm not. Well, when, are you, gonna go, when are you going to go out? At uh, 11? No. At 11, you'll stick the measuring stick no, in? No, I'm going to stick it in the snow on my way off the roof when we're singing. I don't even know what is a centimeter. It's easy. <laughs> you also have to write for the Can tie. you show us what a centimeter is with your finger? Sure, it's like this. Okay. Uh, I think that was too big. For, for listeners like at home, I showed a centimeter <laughs> with my fingers. Uh, and for, for the tiebreaker, Scott, I know you threw in your pen already. It's what will be the outside temperature at the start of his sermon. I'm not worried about anyone. Having my is this with a real feel, like what it feels like, or would it actually, like with the what wind chill? Real feel. I'm gonna go on my with, phone with the wind chill or not with the wind. I don't chill? know. Probably not with wind chill. Probably just straight temperature. Dan, my pen doesn't work, but 0.7 centimeters. Okay. And 28 degrees Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit, Scott. I said zero. And how many degrees? Uh, I was also thinking 28. I, s- I said zero centimeters, 30 degrees. I'm saying oh. two centimeters. I think it's going to be blustery up there. And I'm saying 31 It is blustery degrees. up there. The snow probably won't accumulate. Fair but enough. it could blow around and it could... <laughs> it could we could get <laughs> snow coming off what the cars. If, what if it does blow and there's less at the end of the... <laughs> then the, if, whoever has the uh, zero wins. <laughs> listeners, if you think there's going to be less snow at the end of the service than there was at the beginning, you can write in a podcast at BloomingdaleChurch.org. That is all the time we have this week. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Max. Mr. President. Take us home. Live from Bloomingdale, it's the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Wednesday a, afternoon. A new era for the, for the end of the show. No, I'll, do, I'll, go, I'll do the real outro. Okay. Okay. New, new, president. new president. New president. Yeah, new. Jonah's, Jonah's new old week. dumb one is out. Wait, so what is it? You got to decide how you decide for this. Live from Bloomingdale, it's Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, I do. That is fun. I like that. <laughs> just admiring scott's bible it is it's, very it's, shiny it's very pretty is it new? new i got it for christmas oh <laughs> it's a 10 on the bible on attractiveness the bible scale, scale. <laughs> it is it's very you want to describe it to the listeners dan it is got a it has his name kind of 
Imp- is it embossed? Is it imprinted or embossed? <laughs> On the front cover, black kind of matte finish. Wow. With uh, very nice looking kind of silvery pages. Mm. Show it this way so I can see it. Yeah, it's got a shimmer to it. Oh, yeah, that's nice. It's very nice. <laughs> that's a... Got two bookmarks. Whoa. I don't know, I don't okay. know why. <laughs> okay, no, I'm in for that. But I've got in, two of them. I'm in for two it's bookmarks. You, it's for emphasis, double bookmarks. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. I have to, I'm really concerned about my secretary of the energy being. Who is going to vote? I know. <laughs> I, I got my daughter because she's got a lot of energy. Oh. She's going to get confirmed by the Senate? Who I know you literally meant building a piece of furniture. <laughs> I, I don't know why. Like, I got to assemble my cabinet. And I'm like, really? <laughs> get out of here, man. <laughs> what are you waiting for? Dan, you didn't open your beer the whole time. It's not a beer. It's a peach <laughs> pear sparkling water. <laughs> I really wanted to say, I know. And then I'd have that clip. <laughs> There's a lot. The podcast cabinet is very demanding. It is. There's How many of, positions? More demanding than being. Oh, on like podcast. 17. There's 17. Oh, yeah, there's a lot. Oh my gosh. <coughs> What's secretary the... of the words. <laughs> secretary of hello. Yeah. Secretary. Secretary of, of the email address. <laughs> secretary of the computer. Secretary, secretary of the recording. Of, jelly beans. of the microphones. <laughs> secretary, yeah. Secretary of the jelly beans. That's the top dog position there. That's right. Everyone wants that one. That's right. Who are you mm-hmm. going to make secretary mm-hmm. of the jelly beans? Thinking about myself. Just kidding. Just kidding. I like you say you're just kidding. Like that. Like somebody out there listening is going to be like, I can't believe Dan's going to make himself you make a secretary. Dave Wormington a secretary of something because he's <laughs> one of secretary of playing bass. Yeah. <laughs> we can get some. Like, and he was sign, singing. I had a lot of co- people were complimenting his, his voice. Doop, doop, doop. Yeah. Like they're like Dave Wormington has such a great voice. I agree. You got to make Sean Mitchell a cabinet member. That's true. He's the secretary of the pool. <laughs> he, he knows a lot about pools. He He's does. A really he, smart guy. He like. I'm thinking of my son-in-law, Jonathan. He could be secretary of defense. Yeah. He's nice. got a gun. That's all it takes. <laughs> you hear that, Joe secretary. Biden? There we go. <laughs> Make sure that your secretary of defense has a gun. Secretary of Education is the one that keeps us on track. Morgan, sure. obviously. Yeah, obviously, of course, Morgan. Of yeah. She's a former teacher. Well, she and got? current teacher. Uh, Who's the secretary of snacks? Secret, mm, I, I, uh, you know, I I'm not sure about that. Secretary one. of snacks. You secretary seems to have snacks? more food than two people could possibly need. Rotten yeah. tomatoes, hundred percent on rotten tomatoes for the chosen. That's surprising. Well, it's because well, it's, it's all those Christians just sticking up for. Truly. Well, it's not. It's not audience. It's, it's critics. critics right? Yeah, but it's oh really? Mm-hmm. But oh. it's the way rotten tomatoes works is it's if you liked it. Right. Or he didn't. So 100% right. of critics liked, liked it. it. Gave it a positive. Whereas Metacritic yeah. is like, how many stars did they give it? That's true. I did forget about that. I know, me too. And then I was like, that would have been really interesting for the listeners. I should have explained that. Mm. Oh, well. yeah. Sorry, listeners. Now they have to hear it now. <laughs> By the Secretary of the Jelly Beans. You going to open your LaCroix now or during the show? Uh, I don't think I'm going to open it now. Because then I, I got a mask on. Well, that's true. Are you, a little problematic. I'm just saying, if you're if you're gonna open it in the middle of the show, give us some warning. I will be like, everybody, back up. <laughs> Dan just opened his beer. <laughs> Classic Dan. Oh, Dan Kids. thinks he owns the place. Welcome. <laughs> Wait. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. I forgot how it starts.